And today we have a very special guest. His name is Dylan Naylor. And for all, all of you who are very familiar with him, he is the author of Batersha, which was featured in K-Zone many years ago. It's a very popular comic. And he is here today so that we can discuss his work, his life, what inspires him to create. So yeah, hey Dylan, uh, good afternoon. Hey. So how, how are you? How's everything? Sorry, what was that? Yeah, sorry, how are you? Uh, and how's everything there in Australia? Because, you know, with the current pandemic all over the world, I'm sure it's a bit tough for everyone. But how's everything there? Yeah, it's it's probably similar to a lot of other places where we're often locked down and there's a lot of restrictions. Um, but the, the numbers aren't very high here. And I live out of the city quite a bit. So um, things things are pretty good. All right, well, that's I'm really glad to hear that. And, you know, for all our audiences who will be watching this episode, I actually contacted Dylan. That was probably, what, a month or two ago, right, Dylan, before we were able to finally connect. And yeah. I'm very glad to finally have this episode because, you know, K-Zone was a big part of, you know, a lot of kids' lives, you know, back in the day. Of course, a lot of us are adults now. And uh, Batrisha was a very popular comic here. And it's very awesome that, you know, you're finally able to, you know, uh, collate them and you're starting to publish them again, right? You know, as a graphic novel. So we're definitely going to be talking about that a bit later. But for now, you know, Dylan, I just want you to, you know, because obviously I may have some uh, viewers who may not be so familiar with you or Batisha and etc. So maybe yeah. you could introduce yourself a bit, you know, you know, fun, you know, like interesting stuff about you, like let's say your favorite colors like gold or something. So yeah. Yeah, well, I could I could tell you how I started drawing comics in the first sure. place. Yeah. Because uh, I grew up, um, I was a little kid in the 1970s and then in high school in the 1980s. And at that time, comics were a much bigger thing, just generally. Comics were more easily available. Every kid had a big stack of comics at home and people would trade them and read them. Uh, shops had a huge selection. And newspapers were full of comics, had a big comic section. And then over time, comics have become more of a niche kind of market, more um, defined by um, going into a comic shop or the audience is, is a lot more particular. And But back then, um, comics were just my, like my, my dad had comics lying around the house and my dad was an artist, had a lot of art materials lying around the house. So the two things kind of just came together and I started drawing comics. Um, I would grab the comics that I loved and I would copy the panels and try and tell my own stories. And it just seemed very natural, a natural way to express myself. And so right into high school, I was drawing comics all the time. And I started to take the comics and, and kind of staple them into like little homemade booklets. Mm -hmm. And then they would like be circulated around the school, people would borrow them. And, it's, and months later, they would come back. And I was always surprised that they came back because it was, only like, it was the rarest comic in the world. It was like one, one issue. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and all, all original art just drawn with a biro and um, colored markers. And they would, it, they would be ragged, but they would always come back. And then in that time, I started to create my own characters with a few friends and my friends would contribute artwork to it and then at the end of high school I started to get them printed I started to draw more professionally and print them in black and white and then distribute them through shops like record shops and skateboard shops and and then kind of from there I uh, managed to get my work included in various magazines and uh, towards the end of the 80s I managed to get some work for a US company working with a, an, another Australian artist. I was inking his work, he was penciling it. And that, that was Planet of the Apes, based on the Planet oh. of the Apes franchise. Yeah. yeah. And so that was my first work in the United States and I was still just out of high school. So I was like pretty, pretty super excited. And from there, I managed to get a job providing comics to go into what they call show bags here. Uh, we have like um, each state or city and town has its own fate and fair. 
and these vans would just travel around to each city and town selling these show bags that were usually like sample bags that were full of like little products, little yeah. gimmicks and toys and things. So they would always have comics in them, but they'd normally just use comic books that were uh, unsold comics from shops. And so they couldn't get the exact numbers that they always needed, or sometimes the material was a bit too spicy to give to kids. Okay. Um, so they'd employ me. This was like the first time this was ever done, I believe. They'd employ me to create comics, especially for these bags that were very children friendly. And then they could print the exact numbers that they needed. Yeah. And those comics were, were a big success. I was using the same characters that I was drawing in high school called Dart and Dill. Yeah. And um, these, character, these characters are a bit hard to describe. It's, uh, they're like these two kids that wear these masks. One looks like a duck and one looks like a, a goblin. And they just basically just give this guy with glasses a really hard time. <laughs> and it's very hard to describe. It's actually, it's actually hilarious though, you've got to trust me. And these were the comics that were put into the show bags and sold over, and over 10 years. I reached a mass audience that way because everyone who bought those bags brought those comics home and it reached a huge number of people. And um, yeah, basically uh, from there, I, um, all these opportunities arose and that's, that's what led to K-Zone. Yeah, so with that, I, I'm just so interested and in if it's okay for us to go back a bit about your life. Uh, you mentioned your dad was an artist. So, sorry, what kind of art did he do? Like, was he a painter? Was he a sketcher? Sorry, what, what did he do exactly? Uh, it's like, it was called commercial art back then, and it's like mm -hmm. graphic design, but for okay. products. So he would normally do um, packaging and um, small cartoons and lettering and a lot, a lot of illustration back then, of course, like pre-digital. So it was all, yeah. it, it was painted. And if, if you had to design a, a packet of bread, a packet of cereal, you had to illustrate that first and then you do the photography for it and everything was done the old fashioned way. Oh and yeah, okay. So I have an idea. So did he ever do like posters and billboards and stuff? Use what, sorry? Sorry, did he ever create, let's say, the, the billboards or posters for particular brands, or was it mostly just the packaging? It was more, yeah, it was more packaging um, and print and advertising things. Uh, I think he did do some big scale kind of things. Yeah. But I, I um, yeah, I learned a lot, of course, by just watching the, the things that he would do. He would, he would work from home sometimes, and more importantly, there was all these art materials lying around or markers yes. and pens and paper and and my dad also read comics as a kid and had comics lying around everywhere too so um he, he appreciated comics as a medium and that he, he used to read them to me before i could read myself so that kind of oh, wow. okay. eased me into it so with that aspect so your dad was an artist uh, how about your how about your mom what, what did she do well, my mum was also an artist. Um, oh wow! So very artistic family in that aspect. Yeah, she she um she studied uh, more kind of fine art, sketching, and um, some painting, and um, yeah. So I had that support from from both parents. Yeah, because you know a lot of artists. Uh, well, I'm not really sure about like in Australia, but in the Philippines. Um, of course, I know some people who became artists themselves because the parents were like, no, you know, this is something that you really enjoy, you know, go for it. Uh, we're here to support you. Well, there are a lot of parents who see, uh, yeah, it's good to have that as, let's say, something on the side, but you need something to fall back on, let's say, if you don't make it. But I think it's amazing that you've had uh, both parents who are very supportive of you, you know, who are also very artistic. So that maybe that's why you're able to have that artistic support that, that you needed. So you mentioned that, you know, your dad uh, had comics laying around and he would read comics to you. Uh, what kind of comics, or sorry, not really what kind, sorry, but more of which comics would your dad read to you? He, um, he, he was a big fan of Disney comics and in particular oh, Disney. Okay. Um, Donald Duck and yeah. Uncle Scrooge, those, those characters, the Duck characters. And they were yeah. 
they were done, a lot of the stories were done by a particular artist called Karl Barks. Mm -hmm. And he was a, an excellent writer and the illustrations were always just of a higher standard. And they were put in amongst all the other stories with Mickey Mouse and Pluto and stuff. But these stories always stood out and really stuck in my mind. And, um, to, and to this day, it's still a big influence on my work, the, the work of Karl Barks. Yeah. Is um, a, a really a fan, despite the fact that they do look kind of like ducks, um, the yeah. stories were like amazing and, and his sense of humor was like incredible. Yeah, so actually um, regarding that side, so, you know, it was mostly on Disney, then of course that's you as a kid, right? But when you're maybe in your teens to, you know, when you're an adult, did you like different comics or were you still into the the Disney side of, you know, Scrooge and Donald? I mean, were there other comics that you would read and you'd be like, yeah, this is actually really a great comic or, or something like that? Yeah, it, it got to a point where... Um... I managed to meet some other people who were interested in comics because back back then, pre-internet, it was it was hard to know whether there was even other people out there that were interested in comics beyond. Because when you're when you're a kid, it's okay to read comics, but when you're in high school and yeah, I, um, I understand that. Especially yeah. at that time uh, in the outer suburbs where I was, um, to to be older and walking around with a bunch of comics under your arm was like a pretty weird thing to do. It's more acceptable now because there's kind of a, a geek culture. It's with, a big thing, yeah. Um, but, but back then it was pretty unusual, and, um, but I just did it anyway. And luckily I met like a bunch of people who were also interested in things, all the other things that go with that, like science fiction films and books. And then I eventually met some other people who were artists, also drawing comics and then they showed me um, their libraries and collections of things that they had and then finally a shop opened up that had comics and I, like that was a really strange thing when it first happened someone said there was a shop that just sold comics we, we couldn't believe it we had to like travel into the city to see it with our own eyes and then straight away I um, discovered everything else that was around like European American um, all different types of styles, but probably the, the thing I was fixated with was horror comics. Okay. That, that particular subject really captivated me. I was, someone gave me a whole bunch of horror comics when I was small. And even though superheroes were like the, the big thing the at thing. the time yeah. and still are, um, it was the format of horror comics. I really liked I, I loved the, um, the short structure of the stories and there was always it was always like a, a tale of revenge or a, a short story that had an ironic or twist ending to it and i really i really liked um the art styles of the horror comics superhero comics were looked a lot cleaner and slicker but the yeah. horror comics had that dark film noir kind of shadowy artwork and they so they employed different artists to to, to achieve those effects and I, I became, you know, really obsessed with horror comics of the 1970s. They had some great titles. There was a lot of great stuff published at that time. Magazines called Eerie and Creepy, mm -hmm. black and white um, magazine format um, comics. And at that time, they were also hard to find because you could easily buy new comics off the shelves. But if you wanted older comics, you had to go to like a secondhand bookshop or a flea market or something. It was before eBay. Yeah. You can just type in what you want and then get it. So there was that kind of treasure hunt of finding old comics that was like a big part of it. And I just tracked down all the old horror comics I could find. And still to this day, I'm like, I have like boxes of them. And so in a way, Patricia is kind of, those two things mashed up, Disney comics and horror comics. Okay, so with that one, um, so you're inspired more on the, the horror side and all. Uh, but then, you know, uh, so that, could we go back to your work, uh, Da and Dil, you know, about yep. the, the three kids, right? So you have two kids wearing masks. Uh, one you said looks like a goblin. The other one looks like what again? Sorry. Uh, one looks like a duck. 
a duck, sorry, a duck and a goblin, right? And they're terrorizing this uh, other kid. You know, I assume that they're all boys. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I'm just wondering, what inspired you to to create that comic? Because I mean, thinking about it, because I myself, I love graphic novels, I love comics, uh, and yeah. I think what what's a bit strange about me is I started liking them when I got older. So maybe when I was around 15 or 16, that's when I bought my first graphic novel, which is Watchmen by by Alan Moore. Oh yeah, I love Watchmen. Right, excellent, excellent book. Uh, in the Philippines, they don't really ask for your ID if you look old enough. I, I don't think Watchmen should be for kids, honestly. Uh, but yeah. you know, but like a sixteen-year-old, I guess I was mature enough to to understand that. But you know, I, I really got fixated with the whole comics and stuff because you know the thing with books that you know if we can talk about it for a bit, books the way you you know you review it, you understand it. It's like okay, the the setting is great, the characters are great, they're great. That's it. But when you get into comics or graphic novels, you also have to think about, was the art good? Did it really capture what I would imagine if I was in that situation and, and things like that? So for your story of Dianville, this is like the first time that I heard of a comic that it has two boys in masks terrorizing this one kid. But it's not really the violent kind of terrorizing, right? It's just more no. kiddie stuff, right? Yeah. So what inspired you to do that? Because I think the closest one in my head that I could think of something like that is like Dennis the Menace, but that's still pretty far off compared to what Dian Dill is about. So why don't you take uh, us to like what inspired you to make Dian Dill and stuff like that? You know, it's, it's funny you should mention Dennis the Menace because it is, uh, I suppose it's close to that in a way. Yeah. Um, pretty far still, but yeah, closest I could think of. I mean, right now. Yeah. yeah. It's... It's it's a strange thing because it was it was just kind of something that was organically built from um, from scratch without any direction or destination in mind. Okay. Uh, um, it was actually invented with a couple of other friends at school, and it was like early high school, and we're just messing around, and these characters just kind of appeared, and we built stories out of them and um, refined them and. It's just—it's basically just kind of like an in joke that just kind of went too far, and and I still draw them to this very day. I, if I had have known that uh, I would have been at this stage of my life and still drawing those exact same characters that I did from early high school, I, I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> um, and I mean, it's, I can now look back and read all this stuff into it a little bit, like the characters had masks um, to kind of. You never saw their real faces, and so maybe it says something about that. I can sort of see all these symbolic things in it, but basically we're just trying to make each other laugh, and um, the exact situations of these characters just... We, we were just doing it for um, ourselves and a couple of other friends, and then um, these, these were the stars of the comics that were in the show bags I was mentioning earlier, the comics in the show bags. Yeah. And then... They were actually the first characters I showed to K-Zone magazine. And so originally from, from K-Zone number two or three, they ran Dart and Dill as a comic strip. And they were, uh, at the time I was working at a toy company, I was designing toys. Oh, wow. And, that, and that's actually how I met someone from K-Zone because the company did a lot of promotions and advertising in K-Zone. And so there was these meetings and we would all sit down and the editor from K-Zone was looking for something to put in and noticed that I drew comics and said, could I draw comics for them? And I said, well, I can't exactly because I have, this was a full-time job, but I could give them the comics that I'd done previously. We could color them and just put them in. Yeah. And that's, that's, so that's how I got into K-Zone to begin with. I think that's really cool. So, um, if it's okay with you to walk us through about that and because I'm not too familiar with them. I mean, you know, when I was looking at Batersha and your other works, they also came out, and you know, a lot of um, I assume they're Australians, but I could yeah. be wrong. I, I notice a lot of people saying, "Oh, that and those my childhood," and yeah, they came out in those promotional bags and and things like that. So I assume that and Dil, those are the names of the two characters in the masks, right? Yeah. Okay, so which one is Da and which one is Dil? 
Yoda. Um, it looks like an elf. It looks like Yoda. So the go the goblin Yoda guy is yeah. uh, that, and Dill is and the um, sometimes green or sometimes blue, and Dill has is looks like a duck. Yeah. Uh, what is the name of the kid with the glasses? Uh, his real name is Ian, but Ian. Okay. Um, Dart and Dill just make up these nonsense names for him, and that's kind okay. of one of the running jokes in it. They just call him golf ball or um, teacup or anything, just just to annoy him. Yeah. They, they never use his real name, and that and that becomes part of it. So so with that, uh, you mentioned that until now you're still so you're still making new stories up for them, right? Like you're still creating new stories for Dart and Dill. Yeah. So um, after I finished doing the Showbag comics, they they were in K Zone for a while, and then. Um, some book companies collected them yeah. into a, a graphic novel. And then um, there were also a newspaper strip, a little colour newspaper strip in uh, every Sunday in one of, the, one of the major newspapers here. And I did that for like seven years. And then eventually that finished. And so there was a short time where I wasn't really drawing them. Um, but just recently, it was a, like a 20 year anniversary of, um, uh, no, 30 year anniversary of like Dart and Deal first appearing. And so I actually drew, I did a whole new comic, especially for that. Just, oh, wow. Uh, okay. That you could get directly online. So I'm wondering, uh, why do you think kids in general? Because it was really aimed for kids with your show bags, right? For Dart and Deal. Why do you think kids fell in love with that comic of yours and those characters? Well, the, the Dandel comics were, were very strange compared to other comics. Uh, yeah. um, it was more, more like what you call an underground comic. Um, the humor was, was yeah, perhaps a little, even a little bit spicy, even though uh, it was designed for kids. It wasn't um, what you call a straight out kids comic. It was the, there was, um, their behavior and language and um, the situations were very kind of strange. And I think kids really liked that, that they, they saw that it was something different. And uh, uh, I think it captured their imagination. And, and I like to think that, the, that I put a lot of effort into the stories and, and kids just liked it. Uh, but I, in the first issue, I managed to put a, um, my address, like a post office box address, and something about, if you like it, let me know. And I couldn't believe that not long after the, they first appeared, uh, I got hundreds and hundreds of letters. And those letters kept coming in for about 10 years from kids. And they really responded to it and loved it and sent in um, drawings and ideas for stories and form their own little fan clubs and things. Yeah. And that was one of the most rewarding parts to see that you really connect with an audience like that. And those kids, see these comics would come out once a year, every time the show would come back into town. Yeah. And I was really flattered that these kids liked it enough that they would wait a whole year and then go to the show again to get the new comic and then write another letter to me about how much they liked it. And, um, you know, kids are, usually have not such a great attention span and they've got all these other things like other comics and cartoons and movies and stuff to get distracted by. The yeah. fact that I could hold their attention for that long and over many, many years, they would keep coming back to the show to get the show bag again. And I mean, it was really just a comic. That was all. There was no toys or no cartoon or no animation to go with it. It was, and there was no online campaign to advertise it or, there's no Facebook page because it was all prior to that. Yeah. So looking back, I'm, I'm really flattered that kids embraced it and liked it enough. So I'm, I'm wondering now, uh, so you mentioned that there are no toys, no um, shows, films for it or anything like that. Uh, because, you know, from what I saw and what you've mentioned, it's, and, and you know, uh, based on what I really saw, honestly, that was quite a big thing for a lot of young kids at that time. Were there, so, did anyone ever approach you and say, hey, you know, um, why don't we make a Dandel toy line or let's make a Dandel cartoon or a movie? I mean, did anyone approach you for something like that during that time? Well, um, not 
Not at that point, but when I started working for the toy company in about 2000. Yeah. And then um, started working for K-Zone. My style of drawing and my whole approach to, to, to making comics changed because when I started work at the toy company, they, um, the style of drawing that I had wasn't really appropriate for toys. They needed a more kind of cartoon animated looking characters with, uh, that looked more like, um, made out of geometric shapes, very yeah. simple, very refined. So I had to re kind of relearn at that point and draw in a much simpler style. So it took a, a few months to get used to that. Uh, and I also had to think more 3D because the drawings I would do would be then turned into the blueprints to make the toys. Correct, yeah. I had to really learn how to rotate characters in my in my drawings, draw them from all different angles. I'm, I mean, I don't know how it's done now. Maybe they use 3D software and things like that. But back then, I basically had to visualise this in my head and then draw it from side, front, back, top, bottom, and then they would be sent overseas and sculptures would be made and sent back and I'd approve them. And so at that time, uh, I learned to draw in a more kind of what looked like an animated cartoon style. Yeah. And that's kind of how Patricia came about because I would keep notebooks and sketchbooks and in my spare time on the, on the train ride there and back, I would practice creating these characters that looked like something out of a uh, simple animation. And out of, out of the hundreds of different characters I sketched, one of them happened to be like a little goth girl with a, with a kind of big head and big eyes carrying a little suitcase that's shaped like a coffin. And that, that was just one of many drawings. So when K-Zone were running the Dart and Dill comics, uh, after a while, I, it was my bright idea that if, if I had a girl character, they might run two comics in K-Zone. Um, cause Darn Dill was just male characters. So I figured if, if I invented a new comic that was maybe just girl characters, they'd run them both at the same time and I could double my money. Um, but they liked, when I showed them Patricia, they liked that so much that they actually dropped Darn Dill and then started running Patricia instead. Okay. So. Yeah, I think that that's amazing. But before we get to Patricia, uh, so obviously, I, I did a lot as much research as possible before I spoke to you. And there's this one comic strip that you did that I wanted to talk to you about because the name in itself sounds pretty awesome. And unfortunately, I wasn't really able to get much material off it. It's called Rock and Roll Fairies. Do, do you remember that one? Yeah. So. When K-Zone was about a year into its run in Australia, yeah. um, they invented a whole new magazine called um, Total Girl. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if Philippines had that. Um, um, maybe we did, but the one that I remember the most is still K-Zone. But yeah. yeah I've, I've got a feeling that it was only Australia had Total Girl because I, I'd, I'd I didn't hear any feedback from any overseas editions of Total Girl. But um, yeah, so there's a brand new comic and needed for that. And so I came up with a, another set of characters called Rock and Roll Fairies. And this was a different kind of comic where uh, it was like a, a serialized story, so two, two pages per month. Whereas Patricia is just made up of like short little gags. Yeah. This, this was meant to be like a very long story that could later be collected as a graphic novel. So it was always had a cliffhanger ending at the end of the second page. And so I sat down and, and invented all these new characters and basically it's a, it's about a fairy rock group and there's a, a human girl, Penny, her father is works for a recording studio and she was out walking and she had like a, a CD and a Walkman, old school kind of music player. Yeah. And she dropped the CD and which bounced into um, the forest and ran to find it and then found these fairy 
little fairies playing in a rock band. They had these tiny instruments and I don't exactly know how, where they got the electricity for the instruments, yeah. <laughs> but they had like a, um, amps and speakers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I, kind of, I kind of remember exactly how it goes, but she gets caught up in their world and changes size and kind of joins the band and they end up in this kind of fairy, fairy world um, battle of the bands. Okay. Uh, but it, it went on for many years. It was a very, very complicated story, but it's ne- it was never actually collected as a graphic novel. Hopefully it will be. Do you have plans to? Because, I mean, based on what you told me of that, what, one to two minute introduction of rock and roll fairies, I think it's a very interesting story because one is, you know, I missed the Walkman. That was my first ever, like, iPod for those. Actually, even kids nowadays may not even know what an iPod is, right? Yeah. But, yeah, so... First thing is, do you plan to collect it into a graphic novel? Yeah. Um, so I'm currently trying to find publishers to collect all of my all of my comics, and there's a lot of stuff that that's never been collected, and a lot of stuff that was collected and then went out of print again. Yeah. So I want to get all of this stuff in color and in print, and into bookshops and libraries and things. And definitely, Rock and Roll Fairies is one of those things. It's it's um it's at first i thought that story is going to date a little bit because um it's full of references to 90s and early 2000s um that each each little rock group like there's a a bunch of rappers that that are gnomes called the gnome boys and um <laughs> I kind of get the reference. There's a, a, a Marilyn Manson kind of character. It looks like a yeah. praying mantis. And it's, uh, there's a Spice Girls kind of parody. Uh, they're yeah. called the Mice Girls. They're like little field mice. Yeah, yeah. And at, so at the end of the two, 2000s, I was thinking that stuff's going to date really badly because um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really put it into the, into the 90s and... Even even having the CD and the CD player Walkman, it's going to look really out of date. And but then as time went on, all this '90s nostalgia started to come up, and yeah. and all of a sudden people were interested in the '90s. And so I think the appeal of that is there now because because it is the, set in the '90s. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to be fair, based on what you told me, I mean. The Beastie Boys are still the Beastie Boys until now, right? Even if they were big during what the '90s and early 2000s, everyone still loves the Beastie yeah. Boys. Spice Girls will never die. The Marilyn Manson, maybe, but you know he's still Marilyn Manson, right? I mean, he's the one who did the, the whole shock. I don't even know is this genre even considered um, rock or something or whatever, right? Okay, but yeah. So okay, if you don't mind me, like you know, thinking about it. Were you inspired by like Josie and the Pussycats or what inspired you to, to make rock and roll fairies? Because I mean, I don't think it's something that you just thought one day, I want to make a comic about fairies and rock and roll, right? I mean, what, I'm sure there's something that inspired you to, to make that. Well, it was, it was actually a while later that I saw the Josie and the Pussycats movie and then realized that there was some similarities to it, but I wasn't thinking of that when I, when I made it up. Um, uh, I, I've always liked um, things like Wizard of Oz and old-fashioned musicals and yeah. um, fairy tales and really love old-fashioned illustrated books set in, fa- in the fairy world where they use all these miniature things. You've probably seen some books like that where um, I've got a book that's full of these beautiful illustrations and fairies and gnomes, they make a whole city out of, like the stuff that humans throw away, tin cans and yeah, and they make hats out of like thimbles and um, use scraps to make clothes and stuff like that. I always thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And so this story uses that kind of idea, but set more in the kind of modern world, the modern stuff that that people throw away. Like they, the the rock and roll fairies take apart. Um, the, the girl, the girl's Walkman, and they scavenge all the parts out of it to make um, amps for their equipment, and they use all the stuff that Penny, the, the, the girl, brought with her as part of the story. Yeah. 
All right. So now we get to so you know we we spoke about that in the rock and roll fairies. Now, if it's okay with you, maybe you can speak about Batisha for a bit. And I'm just wondering. So, you know, before we get into like the nitty gritty about you know Batisha, the story, etc. Um, what made you decide? Because you did mention that you know you wanted to make a story with a girl in it, you know, as like the lead and and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you could have gone other ways, right? It didn't, she didn't have to be a bat, you know. She didn't have to be like a, a vampire. She could have been, let's say, um, Frankenstein's daughter. I mean, if you were going to go to that horror aspect, right? But why did you decide that Patricia should be a vampire? Like, why a vampire? Why not, you know, Frankenstein's daughter? Why not werewolf? The were, you know, the, the werewolf's daughter? Or I mean, you had so many characters or so many horror icons out there that you could have chosen. Why, why a vampire? I I settled on vampire just just really just based on this one sketch like I was telling you about the sketchbook and I did yeah. the drawing yeah um, and she wasn't a vampire in the drawing she was just like a little goth girl okay and then I thought um, this character would look good in a story um, and I pictured she was going to be like a really sort of like Wednesday Adams kind of character. I, really I kind of get that feeling. Dark, yeah. um, she's a real, real um, party killer kind of sourpuss character. Yeah. And I thought I could get more out of this if she was like maybe a vampire or supernatural. All I had to do was just add fangs to the existing drawing and it was pretty much that was the character design. And so the original idea was nothing more than she was a vampire at school and everyone else was too stupid to realize that they thought she was just play acting or a goth or they just didn't care less. And so from that, just one simple idea, I just kind of built outwards and created a cast of characters and more situations. And until in the end, it became more of a complex kind of, uh, situation. So it's all based on that one sketch. Yeah, so if it's okay with you, um, maybe you could tell us a bit more about the story of Batisha, like, you know, like what the first issue was about, or maybe just the background of the characters. Yeah. Then maybe after that, uh, we could talk about each character. I mean, obviously not those characters only came out like once, right? But like more of the somewhat main cast of characters. But yeah, let's start with um, uh, the story or the background of the Batisha comics. All right, so the the very first story and I had nothing more in mind than, than just this was that she was, um, she's just watching these kids playing volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. And, kids are trying to be nice and, they, and they say, come on, join in, you know, you, you can be one of us. Yeah. I know, leave me alone. I just want to read my book. And so they force her to join in and she's mad about that. And she bites the volleyball and puts two fang marks in it. Yeah. <laughs> And so I really just used that as a pattern. And then I started to think, why is she at school? So why is she there and who is she? So I came up with the idea that she was uh, an exchange student, like a foreign exchange student from a vampire country. Yeah. Called Vladivostok in somewhere in Eastern Europe. And she's come to stay with this family called the Paines in Australia. And they're very slow witted. They, none of them, not, none of the family or the kids at school or the teachers even think that she's anything but just like a girl that likes to dress in a lot of black or, or red in this case. Um, the only person that is kind of working it out is the, her, the son of the family that she's staying with called Damien. Yeah. And so then I got this dynamic going where it was kind of like brother and, brother and sister fighting but they weren't really brother and sister because Patricia is the replacement for the sister who's gone to stay with the vampire parents in, in Vladivostok. You never get to see that. Um, so I was playing with that idea of like the brother trying to trap her or trick her. So the brother becomes like a Van Helsing kind of character, like a vampire hunter. Okay. And he's, he goes to school and borrows all the books he can on vampires and does all his research to try and work out a way that he can trap Patricia or expose her in front of his parents and prove finally that she is a vampire. And as soon as I got worked out that part, 
I managed to write dozens of stories based on that pattern. So I'm wondering, so you, you so I do have um, a list of some characters uh, from Patricia. And if it's okay with you, maybe you could discuss about them a bit, if that's yeah. all right. So let's talk, let's start with the Payne family. So the mom and dad are Patrick and Madeline, and the son is Damien. Yeah. So, you know, um, based on how they look, right, the dad looks like maybe some guy who works in a corporate setting, maybe like some banker or something, you know, because he has the tie, the, the polo and the slacks. And the mom looks like, you know, your soccer mom or something. So I'm wondering, for the Payne family, what, what, did you have any kind of inspiration when you created them? Or did you just think to yourself, I just want, you know, the the typical white fence uh, suburbs kind family? Yeah, I must admit, I didn't put a lot of thought into it. I, I just thought a, a very stereotyped, typical kind of Australian family. And yeah, the, the dad just wears his shirt and tie home from work. And I, I don't think I ever specified exactly what kind of work he does. And... I don't think there's there's much history about the mum either, but she's yeah she's just um they're always friendly and happy and upbeat and naive and a little bit slow witted and so I made them as cheesy as possible basically so as a, as a contrast to Patricia who's so dark and yeah so sarcastic yeah I'd like to get to Patricia last so sorry but you mentioned that. The Payne family had a daughter who you sent to, who you sent in as an exchange student to Batirish's country, right? Did you yeah. ever give her a name? She did have a name, um, but I can't remember. So uh, not long after K-Zone first appeared, Patricia first appeared in K-Zone, I came up with an idea of some miniature graphic novels one of them was going to be the origin of Patricia, which would tell the whole story, because in the comic, you don't see her arrive as an exchange student. I mean, she's just there. You don't, so you don't see the daughter leave, and you don't see any of that, because I, I thought of that later. It's only something that I added to it later. So I, I took these ideas into a local publisher in Melbourne, and they gave me like a two-book deal, which uh, resulted in these these two books, these yeah. the, like pop and check books, and I, I don't think they're available outside of Australia. And um, they're very slim, kind of little little graphic novels, and they tell a story. One of them tells the story of Patricia arriving and the daughter leaving. So that's the only time that you see that daughter. And she gets on the gets on the plane, and Patricia arrives at the airport, and you also um, get to see Patricia redecorate her room. She comes home and sees the the pain the pain daughter has this pathetic kind of pink. Everything's pink and fluffy, yeah. and all these teddies typical, and stuff. Typical girl room, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's like it's so offensive to Patricia that she just tears it all down and puts up all these cobwebs and um, spiders and black drapes with rips in them and this four-poster bed. I don't know where she get, gets that from or how she does all this stuff. And then it also revealed that at night, Patricia tears up the floorboards and digs all these tunnels underneath. And she has all these kind of um, weird pets that are being sent over that she had at home and she gets her family to seal them up in crates and sends them over and keeps them in these tunnels underneath. So there's all these weird things happening underneath in these caves, including this gigantic, um, she calls them a, a plasma plant. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it grows these giant blood berries, which Patricia drinks. It's like really gross, these kind of pulsating berries. Um, and, that, and that was a kind of a way of getting around the fact that she's a vampire and has to drink blood. The blood is actually the juice of these berries and so you don't know whether these berries are alive or not uh, but it stops her like drinking blood because that's not such a great thing to have in a kids comic it's just yeah. a way of getting around that so, so i'm wondering uh because sorry could, could you show the two books again if, if that's okay 
that that you have there, the the coffin ones. Yeah. So so for those books, it's not really the complete bacteria. It's more on like the origin side, right? Yeah. This 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 story never appeared in Kzone, and it was just something I did especially for these books. So there's there's one that's the origin story. It shows it basically yeah. shows her arriving and her first. Like it's a prequel to it in in that aspect. Yeah. And then there was a second standalone story that never appeared in K-Zone either. And it was some, it was just some story about um, Patricia and her shadow. Her shadow becomes detached. Yeah. She's hit by lightning and the shadow becomes detached. And the story is like Patricia has to track the shadow down like a wild animal and kind of get it back again. So as I'm wondering, before we continue on, you know, talking about each character in Patricia, uh, I'm I'm just curious, and if you, and I'm not sure if you have the answer to this, but let's say you're able to gather all the Batersha comics you have that appeared in K Zone, so those two books, you know, excluded, right? Um, would you be able to have, let's say, just one volume published, or would it be like multiple volumes? It it would have it would be a pretty large book because um yeah it ran for I think about thirteen years yeah. And so some of that time was in Australia, and then it got to a point where um, the Australian version decided to make K-Zone more boy-orientated okay. because they had Total Girl to become. So they wanted group. like uh, they put all the girly separate, stuff in Total yeah. Girl and keep. They wanted to toughen up K-Zone, so they suddenly felt that Patricia wasn't a right fit for K-Zone anymore. Yeah. And then I th- and I thought, well, that's all right. You can put Patricia in Total Girl, right? And they yeah. were going, uh, well, we've already got Rock and Roll Fairies in there. So at that point, they stopped commissioning new Patricia stories. But that's when I discovered it was a, a big thing in the Philippines. And so the Philippines editors approached me directly and I started creating new comics for Patricia. Just for the Philippines. Just exclusively for the Philippines at that point. And then it continued on for many years like that. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I, I don't want to like step on any toes, but I think that was kind of a bad decision on their end because, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like canceling a beloved show in that aspect. Where, and okay, the show's been on for, let, let's just say, five, six seasons. Then you're like, yeah, but, you know, from this genre, you want to do this genre. But, you know, I just find it weird because, I mean, I think Rock and Roll Fairies, just based on what you told me, sounds like an awesome story. But I totally would have been like, yeah, let's just stop rock and roll fairies if that's the case and put in Batisha, right? I mean, that that's the that's the bestseller in, in that aspect. So um, I'm just wondering, uh, when could do you think we could see, let's say, a complete volume of all the Batisha stories into like one or two or three books? Well, I, I've I've actually been assembling it into three volumes, like. Yeah. There, there would probably be about five volumes in altogether. Each volume is, is about forty something pages. I thought okay. I thought it was better to make them as smaller books, individual books, and then you could collect them rather than have one gigantic book where the postage would be enormous. Yeah. And I've I've purposely kept the postage cost down so that it could be sent to the Philippines, for instance, at a reasonable cost. Yeah, I actually and, checked that out. It, it was pretty reasonable. <laughs> and so um, I'm probably going to um, like a crowdfunding Kickstarter kind of thing. And I wanted to, I wanted to do that this year while it was tw- Patricia's 20th anniversary this year. So I, went, I thought that was a good time to do it. And um, yeah, so that, that could be happening soon. So if you don't mind me asking, uh, because... You know, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to have a lot of viewers and friends for this episode just because of how big Batisha, you know, was when, when it was running. But I'm just curious, for the cost of, like, printing and things like that, how, how far do you, or how big do you think it will cost you to, to do this? I'm, well, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, with, so with digital printing, you can, you can create something... Um, exactly to to what you want but um it's still a little bit expensive um and if i wanted to do something bigger i could probably perhaps reduce the cost by um 
by uh, maybe looking overseas and getting it done like that. But uh, so I'm still kind of investigating exactly the most efficient way to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Oh, not yet. Okay. So if it's okay with you, maybe you can go back to the characters a bit. Uh, so yeah. we're done with the Payne family. Uh, and for you know our viewers who want to know the name of the sister and what she did in Matricia's country, you can check out uh, Dylan's book. So, okay, so let's go to, um, so you had this cast of characters, right, that you, you did a post on. So how about Lily and Shannon? Who are, who are these two people? Okay, so that, those characters came along very early, and what I needed was two characters that could be her, her genuine best friends and um, kind of um, help orientate her to this new country that she's in and defend her and look after her. So there's these two two kids that she meets on the bus, and you, and you'll see that in the first coffin shaped book that shows she catches the bus for the first time, and these these two girls sit either side of her, and Lily is this very tall, thin kind of girl, a little bit punky looking. She's got blue hair. Yeah. Um, oh no, she has black hair. I think. Uh, Lily has. The, the other one has blue hair. And, yeah, Shannon has as um, well. Yeah, it's been been a while. I can't remember. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but but at, at any at any rate, they they sit either side of her, and they because they they have these kind of punky clothes on, and they see what Patricia's wearing, and they they think she's so cool, and they start asking where did she get her boots from, and who that you know what kind of makeup are you using, and they really love her look. They don't yet realize that she's a vampire, and just it's not makeup. She just has no color in her skin. And so they become they become friends, and Patricia confides in them what she really is. So in the, in these all of the stories, it's only Lily and Shannon that know the secret, and the oh, brother so the, the brother pretty much knows the secret but can't prove it. Yeah. So I'm wondering why did Patricia come out clean with um, Lily and Shannon about her being a vampire and all? I think she had she had to trust somebody. And um, she could see that these characters were very genuine and honest and... Um, weren't looking to um, slay her or anything. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, they're probably the, the two smartest kids at school as well. So she just kind of trusted them. And, and they um, helped. Yeah, they've been in the, in the comic the entire time, helped look after her. Okay, um, and let's round it off with, um, I assume, our Patricia's family, right? You have Patrick, which I think is a very funny way to do Patrick. Then you have uh, Vilma and Vladimir. So I, I assume Vladimir is because of Vlad the Impaler, right? That's why you, you yeah, stuck that yeah. name. Uh, but how about Vilma? Like, why did you decide, okay, the mom should be Vilma? Uh, I, think, I think I just wanted another name with V in it, really. And, um, yeah, I just... That was all I could come up with. <laughs> it's not okay, a great story. And, and, and the look of Vladimir, did you get inspired by... Um, sorry if I keep asking if you got inspired by this or that. It's just that you no, just wanted to... I'm just curious. Were you inspired by the Coppola Dracula film of Gary Oldman? Like when, when he, he did? Yeah, I, I do love that film, yeah. Yeah, because his yeah, look Dr is Dracula so... Dracula is one of my favorite books. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, I love all the movies, the older ones, and but yeah, I do, I do love that particular movie. Yeah, because his look, uh, honestly, I was like, this must be Gary Oldman as Dracula right here, because he looks. All you need is the sunglasses, and you complete complete the look. So He's you know, with so with Patricia, uh, so you mentioned earlier that you know it lasted longer in the Philippines compared to Australia because of like the internal direction of the magazine. Because here, here's the funny thing. I, I mean, I just find it a bit interesting, not really funny. In Australia, you know, it's Da and Dil that was like the everlasting comic that a lot of kids love. Yeah. While in the Philippines, it was Batisha. Did you ever think in your career that, you know, you would have two different countries saying, oh, I love this and I love that of your work? Or, I mean, did you ever expect something like this? Well, it was a, it was a surprise that, um, that my comics were known outside of Australia at all. It, I didn't realize straight away that K-Zone was going to be a big thing. And at a certain point, it was translated into a few different languages 
I know there was a UK version and there was a German version. And, um, and while the Philippines version didn't need to be adjusted that much with the yeah. spelling and language, it was, it was really funny seeing the German version, which was translated properly. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, I was just wondering how, because a, a lot of, a lot of my comics use a lot of jokes and puns and I was wondering how, how even that would work when translated to another language. And I always wanted to get someone to, who knew German to kind of read it back to me to find out what happened and how, how to be sure they, they got the spirit of the joke and all. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the Philippines one, that, that really surprised me. Um, I, uh, it was really um, embraced up there and um, yeah, I was, I was really pleased. And, and when I went over there and met, met the K-Zone team over there, they showed me all these um, thousands of drawings and letters and things that people would send in. Kids would write letters directly to Patricia um, as if she was real and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's very flattering. So I'm wondering, uh, did you ever find it super random that, you know, the Philippines was like, you know, one of the biggest fans of Batricia? Because obviously, like, you know, if it's like the U.S., you would think, yeah, the U.S., or if it was Australia, obviously. But did you find it super random that, oh, in the Philippines, Batricia is like Batricia, like it, it was a big deal? Yeah, I, it, it definitely took me by surprise. And, um, yeah, I, I can't really explain it. Um, I, I don't know how long K-Zone was running there for. Maybe K-Zone was running for almost the same time it was in Australia, which was about 2001. I think, um, I think a so bit, I guess maybe a bit a whole, longer or maybe a Yeah, so, you know, I actually had a lot of friends uh, when I was telling them that, oh, I'm able to get Dylan Naylor to, to come to the show to talk a bit about um, Bacterisha. They're like, oh, wow, you know, they, they were so surprised because they were saying, no, that was really our childhood, you know, when school would be done while waiting for the bus or waiting for their parents to pick them up. They would have the issue of K-Zone and they would uh, automatically turn to the page of whatever page Bacterisha was on in that, you know, certain issue and, and things like that. So, you know, like, I'm going to ask you the same question with that and Bill, but did anyone approach you to, to do some merchandise aside from books and such for Bacterisha? Well, I... I was approached by an animation company uh, about Patricia. What year um, was this? Very, very early on. See, all these things happened all at the same time. And I, I'd actually love these things to happen right now, but it's, it's the same with everything. Everything happens at the same time. And then um, you've got no control over that. So. Um, Patricia appeared and then within a year it was like a big hit and um, then I got the, the deal to make the Coffin Shape books and at that time I was still working for the toy company and so I was trying to like work out a deal with them where I, where I could make a Patricia toy and I, I still got all the designs for it. It, was, it went right through the design stage and then I think they changed their mind at the last second. But also at that same time a, a prominent animation company rang me up and said whether I was interested in have, having it developed into a cartoon. And I went, yeah, yeah, of course. And But at that time, there was so much going on that, that maybe I didn't devote enough time to that because I was also drawing rock and roll fairies and I, I really had about five different projects going at the same time. And I probably got a bit burnt out and so yeah, it's it's a regret, but um, I, I, I probably should have chased it a little bit harder. But the the animation idea and the animation offer didn't didn't go through. And then much later on, I talked to an animation company about Patricia and Dart and Dill, and they were they were initially interested, but they couldn't go ahead with it. And a friend of mine recorded a song theme song for Dart and Dill and a theme song for Patricia, an orig like original piece of music to go at the start of the cartoon so we could present an imaginary kind of opening credits. And you can find them on YouTube, uh, the Patricia theme song. That's cool. 
So, so I'm wondering right now, Dylan. So, have you ever had you know people contact you, whether it's on snail mail, email, or whatever, saying, "Hey, um, could you just draw us like that in Dill, like a Dan Dill character, or draw us like a Batricia character, or something like?" Have you ever gotten that kind of request before? Um, I get a, I get a lot of emails, um, just random kind of things, messages about. Um, I saw your name somewhere, Dylan Naylor, and I recognized it and just wanted to say how much those comics meant to me. And, and in some cases, the comics inspired them to draw comics themselves and, or, or have an art career. And sometimes they, they can read back to me um, an exact comic, the exact joke of the cartoon, just from memory. They, they, they don't have their issues of K-Zone anymore, but they can still remember the joke and the exact wordings of the joke. And so, yeah, that stuff's very flattering too, that because, you know, there's so much stuff out there for kids to get distracted by and so much, so many games and fully animated cartoons and novels and there's so much competition for their attention. Um, sometimes it's hard to believe that people can still remember something that they read 15 years ago and remember it perfectly and be bothered to tell me about it. It's very flattering. So I'm wondering, uh, so with that being said, uh, like aside from, you know, your, your coffin books for Batersha, are there any other merchandise fans of Diane Dill or Batersha or maybe even rock and roll fairies could get from you? Like, let's say they say, hey, you know, you know, there are no toys or anything. Are, are there drawings for sale or like the earlier sketches or something? Um, at, at conventions, I haven't been going to many lately, but I, I, there was a time where I'd go to a lot of conventions and I do drawings or have drawings for sale. And there's things like stickers and um, little mini comics and things like that. But really only Dart and Dill has been collected in properly into, into graphic novels. And um, about 2013, there was a collection of all the showbag comics into one book. And that, that sold really well, but then it, it kind of went out of print and then the publisher stopped publishing. And so um, I've been dying to get that stuff back into print because I get questions and emails all the time about how can I get this book, which is really a high price collectible now. Um, but I'm happy to say that I've I've just signed a deal with a publisher to to bring out all those Dart and Dill comics in full color because the original book was black and white. So this will be a full color edition, um, hardcover, and that that should be out, you know, in a year or so. Um, and then hopefully from there I can collect rock and roll fairies and all the other things into some really nice editions and get them back available into bookshops. So, you know, my last question for you now, um, Dylan, is, so, you know, you mentioned for, uh, for Danda, you got inspired, you know, in high school and things like that. But when you create your own stories, your own art, because you do both, you do, you do write the stories and you draw yeah. your own characters. How do you get, or what inspires you to, to be able to, to do something like that? Because, you know, the artistic side, I mean, I myself wish I was more artistic. I mean, as a kid, I would love, I love Bob Ross. Like I would yeah. watch his episodes because I wanted to paint well, but I never really got to. I guess I just really wasn't born with it. But uh, like, what inspires you to be able to really make good art or make good stories and things like that? Uh, I've, ever since I can remember, I would just draw every day. And I, I don't think I'm particularly gifted in any kind of way because my early work is is pretty awful. It's just that. I, I really wanted to do it so much that, and I would just do it every day and I would not just read other comics but study them really um why you know why do they work and or, or why don't they work and um when I was smaller there wasn't a lot of books about how to draw comics I remember there was like one book how to draw comics the Marvel way but I didn't really like Marvel comics but I just read it anyway but now there's like tons of books on how to make comics and um, and I actually teach comics myself, 
um, teach kids to um, how to make their own comics and run classes. And so I'm just constantly um, still learning to this very day because it's, it's an amazing medium. It's, I think what I love about comics is that it's very direct. If, you know, just say someone makes a movie that there could be hundreds of people involved, maybe thousands. And so you've got screenwriters and directors and then actors translating that story and then people editing that together. And it's a group effort. What I like about comics is it's like a movie, but it comes often from the brain of one person. It's very direct, speaks directly to you. And um, you can see inside you know, their head basically similar to, like, to writing a novel compares to watching a movie. The novel is often better because it's coming directly from that one person. Yeah. All right, well, you know, thank you so much, Dylan, you know, for, for your time right now. And I'm so glad we're able to have this episode. As I'm wondering, you know, let's say um, people want to contact you, people want to buy your books, or maybe they want to ask you, hey, Dylan, could you draw me as a Batersha character? Uh, where, where could they contact you and all? Uh, if if you just use any search engine and search Dylan Naylor, you can you can probably find my email address. Or um, have, there's a Facebook page for Patricia that has a lot of stuff on it, and I can always be contacted through that. All right, that's awesome. Well, sorry, one last question though, Dylan, uh, if, if if it's okay with you. Um, mm -hmm. Let's say someone says, "Hey, Dylan, could you draw me?" Like, would you do it, or it's not something you would really do? Sure. I'll send you a drawing. Oh, you would? Okay, well, that's good news to all our fans. Well, you know, thank you again, Dylan, for all your time right now. And Iglap will be back again next week. But before I end the episode, I'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, Swagat Indian Cuisine, uh, Thai Movement, and uh, The Modern Fashionista. So I'm Paolo again. Uh, that's Dylan. Thank you again for viewing us. Uh, thank you again, everyone. Stay safe and bye.